Hello everybody, it's Fox here from Grapple Arcade on yet another episode of Hands Off The Merchandise on bbgwrestling.com. We're joined by a very special guest tonight. This man needs no introduction, but I won't give him one anyway. Mr. Long Island Ice TTD, <laughs> Rappers TTD Light. It's Mr. <laughs> TTD. How you doing, dude? Nice one. Thank you very, thank you very much, buddy. I, uh, I appreciate it, and I'm very happy to be on. So thanks for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome, man. I know that me and yourself have chatted along with a lot of our other uh, Hasbro collectors and artists and designer friends on the HWO and other groups over. I reckon probably the past year or two or so. I don't know. I don't even know anymore how long it's been this year. Specifically, it's kind of blended into a, its own random <laughs> episode of nonsense. Um, but um, yeah, I think we've been chatting for a little while now. And obviously, you've been doing a lot of the Hasbro-themed artwork that myself and others have been collecting for a while. And it kind of made sense to get you on to have a chat about what you do in general, because the design work that you're involved with spans over quite a lot of areas. So... um. Before we get onto that specific thing, though, I thought we'd start with the basics, mate. But firstly, how the devil are you? <laughs> I am good. Thank you. I am good. I um, I can't complain, to be honest. Uh, lockdown is treating me okay. I just get um, a lot more time with the family. I'm working a lot of hours, don't get me wrong, but actually being in lockdown whilst I'm still doing the, uh, the full-time gig... Um, I'm not doing as many of the things that you tend to do when you're not in lockdown, like the uh, the unnecessary shopping trips or, yeah, just various bits and pieces in life that you get caught up with. So I'm getting a bit more time to focus on the art and a bit more time to focus on the family, which is which is kind of win-win. Missing people uh, and interactions with people, don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I'm okay. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you very much. I'm not too bad at all. I agree with pretty much everything you've said there it's that double-edged sword for the creative sort of society and a lot of people that i know i mean people who know me know that i'm, I'm interested in me me art and me odds and end but i'm a music producer by trade apart aside from the the uh, the woodwork charity um homeless group that i work for but it's been one of those kind of interesting times for our artistic friends because a lot of funding's gone a lot of live events and things are obviously on their ass, there's not very much opportunity for people to perform and things, but at the same time, it's created a lot more time for people to do their, their uh, creative exploits, if you like, you know. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that extent. I've found a lot more time to, to, to dabble with things I've been planning for a while. Um, I've threatened a few people for a while now that I'm going to start customizing again. <laughs> so, I think. Yeah, I've, I'm really. It's just. I think um, this this competition that we're about to embark on in March, this tournament that we we have a laugh doing, is um, has got me thinking. So I think I'm gonna pull the paintbrushes out again soon and create some kind of monstrosity. We'll have to. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm Good. looking forward to it. But I'm glad to hear that you're doing well, mate. And thank you very much once again for joining us today, stroke tonight. I appreciate you're a busy chap, and I know that last time we spoke. Um, you had a lot going on. You were juggling a lot of different, um, a lot of different aspects, a lot of different orders. I think it's fair to say, a lot yeah. of different projects. Got a lot going on. So I'm glad to hear that things are going well in that respect, mate. So I think oh, to so start off you. with, we'll start at the very beginning, anyway, dude, and ask, much like we ask all of our guests, whether the people in the art world, whether the people in the music side of things, whether wrestlers in general from years gone by, whether the people who've worked within wrestling, regardless. When did you become a wrestling fan? 
And what do you remember about starting your wrestling voyage as a fan? Yeah, it's um, it's an odd one, really. Cause I was thinking about this myself the other day, and that's and it's that I've I've always been more of a fan, I guess, of the merchandise and the branded product associated with with wrestling, probably more than the wrestling itself. So, as as a kid, for example, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We didn't have Sky uh, Sky Sports at home, which was where WWF, as it was, was was shown um in in the uk wcw was available um but i always saw that kind of the kind of as the poor relation i guess um and some of that's because of the commercial aspects like you look in the toy catalog and you see the wwf ring is 20 pounds uh whereas the wcw galoob ring is only 12 pounds you know all little things like that the figures are cheaper the figures don't have articulation they're just made of rubber so i really saw that as the poor relation i think with the exception of sting um who i was a big fan of and actually i became a big fan of sting um again through through uh, merchandise really because it was through buying the marvel comics um where obviously sting was was effectively the superhero in that comic who would fight cactus jack and vader and various others and and was a real life superhero but i think for wwf where i where i probably started um the first memories that i've got are merchandise so one of the earliest things i can remember now I'd, i would have been just turned six but was getting my first wwf magazine so it was January 1991, uh, Mr. Perfect on the cover. And I remember it for two reasons. Well, I've still got it, but I remember it so vividly for two reasons. One is flipping through it and seeing the Royal Rumble 91 artwork by Jasko, by Joe Jasko. So it's the one yeah. where you've got, you know, it's the iconic one with Hogan in the red jacket that he probably never wore in real life, Warrior in the brown jacket, marching down the street. And that image was was almost burned into my brain. You know, I, I looked at these guys and I thought, wow, hang on a minute. I kind of know that that superheroes aren't real. I like Ninja Turtles, but I kind of know that they're not real. I loved Ghostbusters in the 80s, but I kind of know that that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas wrestlers, these guys that look like superheroes, they're actually real. They're actually wrestling. They're actually doing this. So... That for me was like comic book meets real life, and these are real superheroes, and and that was mainly through that picture, and then the uh, the merch catalog in the middle, and I and I every time I'd get a WWE or WWF as it was back then magazine, I'd flip to that merch catalog to see what what was coming out, not because I was going to get it, not because we could afford to buy it, but just because I loved looking at the cool products, and I would draw my own custom products and stuff, so it was really through that. Um, and I would watch wrestling uh, at my friends' houses from time to time. And I can't remember my first match, if I'm being honest. I remember, I remember the first shock I had. I remember uh, SummerSlam '92. Uh, obviously, there was such a big hurrah around that, with it being in the UK, and and obviously a lot of products and merch came out off the back of that in the UK. I think probably expanded the wrestling fan base in the UK considerably at the time, but. Probably the first thing I, I remember in terms of watching wrestling um, was the shock at seeing Shawn Michaels put Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window. And I must have been watching the wrestling to to like the Rockers up to that point because I love the Rockers. 
And when that happened, I was absolutely probably devastated <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of my memory. It's more the merchandise than the actual, I guess, the product itself. I get you, though. I know exactly where you're coming from with that. And I think if a lot of wrestling fans in the late 80s, early 90s in the UK are honest, it'll be the same similar kind of output as well. It'll be a similar vibe to what you've just said. For me, myself, um, very similar. I was lucky enough that we had a really sketchy Sky satellite dish set up. It was like, you know, a, knock, a knockoff one, the size of, you know, the, si- the size of a back garden. <laughs> it's like stuck to the side of your garage kind of thing. Um, and we were lucky that me, my dad was able to pick one of them up from the working man's club from a, from dodgy fisherman Pete, you know, like he had, a, <laughs> he had also, if he wasn't selling legs of lamb, he was selling satellite dishes, you know, he's one of those guys, but we managed to get that and everything was in, in, um, either distorted channels. There was about 900 channels from all around Europe and America and 95% of them were distorted and didn't have any signal, but I was able to pick up some channels that were shown wrestling. I couldn't tell you what, what uh, channels they were. But I remember it being all American wrestling, um, as in WWF all American wrestling. You know, the with the um, the iconic sort of red, white, and blue logo that we might have been influenced to create the BBG logo <laughs> from, <laughs> maybe. Yep. Um, but it was that that was the first time I ever saw it. I didn't know what I was watching, but I remember Hogan being on there, obviously. Um, mm. I think it was, I think it was very very late. Late mid late eighty nine to early ninety when I when when we were picking that up, so it was quite early on. But from there came uh, my first VHS video for that Christmas. I believe it was that Christmas off my uh, late uncle Joe, who got me the best of Saturday Night's main event, Brilliant. which was uh, which again is one of one of my deepest treasures of all time. That video. Um, uh, you know, it, it had some absolute classics on there. Still to this day, the the vivid imagery that haunts me is Bossman choking out Jim Powers with his nightstick, and the best selling I've ever <laughs> seen from anybody's Jim Powers frothing <laughs> at the mouth. You know, um, everything was on there. It was just such a really cool, almost like a, it was. It was a best of video. It was a best of. Uh, I think it was eighty nine ish, eighty eight, eighty nine. It was kind of spanning over that VHS. It was it was wonderful and I loved it very, very much. So although to get to watch that, in a way it's kind of merchandise. But I want to touch on what you said there as well about that iconic Royal Rumble imagery as well. Because mm. it is iconic, as you say, and it reminds me so much. It, it must have been taken from, you know, the Warriors, the film The Warriors, the iconic poster of those guys in the street. Um, where there's like four or five of them in a row, then there's sort of pictures behind them and people are becoming more blurred out as the imagery goes backwards uh, to the point where people are wearing brown jackets. <laughs> in the, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But I think it's, it's that, that image itself, I agree with you, is what got me into the idea of the funness of design. Yeah. Um, and, and how fun it could be in the artistic stylized area, because it stood out so much and linked to how just fun and physical and colourful the front covers of those WWF magazines are as well. Yeah, just absolutely. Everything, the, the profile shot usually on the front, especially with the Spotlight magazines, but the WWF ones as well, generally speaking, a profile shot or a sort of um, a, a, a standing action shot, if you like, 
Um, but with that neon, that splash of green, that splash of blue, whatever it is, that neon splash on there, it just so vivid and captures you. Oh, a hundred percent. And it and it's funny really because it's almost what's happened with the the WWF magazine is it's it's almost happened the wrong way round for our generation, which is unusual. Because actually, gosh, and this is another topic, but I think almost a lot of stuff in the entertainment world feels like it's tailored for people who are of our age and it's sort of aged with us. But we can come back to that maybe if we touch on it. Oh, um, we definitely will. Well, <laughs> it, it you know when you go in from gold near a WWF to attitude, that's you know that's that progression, but. With the magazines, you know, if they were putting that magazine out now, I would be buying it. But what you get now is the WWE Kids magazine, which, to be honest, is still awesome. And I still get it from time to time. And I've got a plastic tub in my garage filled with all of the uh, all of the free toys and bits and pieces and key rings that come with it. Because my kids, they're not really interested um, in, in that anymore. So I keep all that to one side because I think it'd be cool to look back on that. I would almost have liked that kids magazine back then and the more adult focused one now. But that said, I wouldn't change anything because I loved the WWE mag. It, it exposed me to the characters in, in a way that I wasn't getting on TV, you know, between magazines and, and trading cards and probably to a lesser extent comics. And then certainly the figures as well, which obviously I know we're going to come to. That was my main exposure to the characters. I didn't really know who was a heel, who was a face that much i kind of fantasy book that i guess in my head um so yeah no it's cool but yeah merchandising for me was definitely the the route into wrestling i think wwf did a phenomenal job with their merchandising in the early oh, 90s phenomenal i don't job. think i don't think any tv company comes close to be honest and we'll touch on some of that as well because we will sort of do some little avenues into other merch as well but I think you've nailed, nailed, nailed it on the head with the, um, the idea of the, how the magazines worked. It's kind of the approach of WWE or WWF, whatever, in general. Whereas in the early 90s, it, you, it was aimed at kids, stroke teens or whatever, but it was kind of aimed at us, you know. In the 80s, it was aimed at the adults. They were still trying to find the sort of grift, weren't they? They were trying to find their angles. It was obviously big. Mania was huge. And they were trying to work out, okay, well, what's, what's our target audience here? And they kind of realised, I think, as the night as the late eighties were were coming up and the nineties were starting, that those some of those people who were fans who were watching uh, were now parents with kids, and those kids were coming to the shows, and then those kids are the ones who ended up being the primary audience. Yeah. So it was aimed at us, especially that early nineties to mid nineties part. That was aimed directly at us, and as you say, it followed us through our lives. It followed us through. From that era to the Attitude Era, when we were hitting our teenagers, and you know we were into expletives and sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> and Absolutely, it followed us through that kind of period, and then I think in the two thousands is where it's like, well, what? Are, who are we aiming at? And I think they kind of lost sight a bit and didn't really know, especially when they didn't have obviously have the competition anymore that they once had. But I don't think that they had the, the target market that they once had, and they didn't know. They were kind of stuck in limbo. Do we carry on with the people who are now adults and how do we aim it at them? But we've got these really cool characters who are clearly aimed at children or we're going to aim them at children anyway with the likes of Cena and whatnot. So they kind of had this, who do we aim it at um, scenario. And I, and I think they've kind of been torn with that ever since. So you've got this interesting crossover between, well, we're going to aim a lot of it at kids because a lot of, because, you know, they are, they're a great audience and they're a great market. And 
that's the bread and you know that's that's the the, the life force of 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 tomorrow i suppose as well as today you know they're going to grow up they need to capture them now <laughs> to, yeah. to, to to get them invested and so you've got that kind of market whereas it whereas in the early 90s that was the only thing that they went for they weren't really focusing that much on the nostalgia act really whereas now they are doing that alongside aiming at the kids so they've got this kind of double platform that i you know, magazines and whatever and certain toys and action figures aimed at kids, but they're also targeting us as the nostalgic audience. And I think they're trying to find... It still seems like to me that they're trying to find the balance of how to do that. Um, they're obviously doing it well because, you know, they're, <laughs> they're WWE. <laughs> they're obviously doing it well. But yeah. I think there's that interesting crossover where sometimes it merges a bit and you you don't quite know. I, I sometimes watch the product and I'm not quite sure what's aimed at me and what's aimed at kids and it can be a little bit clustery sometimes at times yeah. but hey yeah. i'm not going to complain because the fact is there's something there for everyone like there is with wrestling in general and there's a lot of wrestling to watch these days compared to when we were kids and there's so much that's accessible so that's as a me. wrestling fan you can't grumble it's 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 absolutely booming um different yeah. type of booming to the early 90s but it's booming nonetheless it is. And the, the thing is, I guess, that we've got to remember is, you know, the, the age we are, and I know obviously we're a similar age, and in some of the groups that we're in, the people are a similar age. We look at the 90s, the early 90s in particular, so through such a nostalgic lens, because it was such a big part of our childhood, the characters were larger than life, we absolutely loved it, we had the merch, we had the figures, blah, blah, blah. Like, as you say, we then became teenagers, we were going to college, we were more interested in the sort of thing that was happening in the attitude era and it sort of appealed to us and then as we got older you know and maybe lost touch with wrestling it does feel like it's it's aimed like exactly like you said it's aimed at the kids but also the people who were maybe wrestling fans in the 90s that have now mellowed out a little bit and want to watch it with their kids you know catch all but as much as we look back at that 90s era and say they'll they'll never be beaten it was fantastic you know, people who were fans in the 80s probably did not like the early 90s and probably oh, I agree. hated yeah. the late 90s and early 2000s. I look back, I don't know about you, but I watch some of the Attitude Era and that stuff now and I think, shit, that was cringe. Can we swear on this podcast? You can think? indeed, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think, shit, that was cringe, you know, that's, <laughs> that's bad. But at the time, you know, when you're 18, well, 16, 15, 16, 17, 18, it's cool. But there's a lot of people who wouldn't have liked that. We, we were just lucky that probably for those 10, 15 years, it was tailored to us. Yeah, well, we've got to also remember as well what else was going on around the 90s at that time. It's not like it stood out like a sore thumb. And I think that's the mm. thing. It fit yeah. with the time. Um, and I know there's a lot of people who, who you know, will... will shout about how trashy um wwe wwf was in the late 90s whilst it still had some fantastic hilarious moments a lot of people will shout about how trashy it was but that was the point because that's what tv was that's what culture was yeah. whether it's jerry springer whether it's euro trash whether it's beavis and butthead whatever you want it whatever it is you know the rise of south park whatever it is it was all about fart jokes and breasts that's pretty much what yeah. was we were we were force fed <laughs> like for humor like that's that's what it was it was toilet humor with with their with a sexual undertone that's yeah, pretty yeah. much what it was and the rise of violence and dare I say as well the rise of um or the openness and how liberal tv became 
um, in terms of what it was daring and being allowed to show. It's kind of like the Pandora's box had been opened a bit with a few programs, and then that was it. Everything came out. That was it. You know, everything was fair game at that point. Yeah. Um, so I think it fit the time well, and I think dare I say it had to because that's that's when when viewers of that age range are soaking up that much kind of content from other TV programs at the time as well, then you kind of have to move with it. And oh, I okay. think that's what WWE have to do. I, I, and the reality is, when I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here, I get quite a bit of stick and I don't care. Screw the lot of them. Because I my favourite <laughs> time period, I've been watching since I say about 89-ish, uh, mid to late 89 bits of and then got more into it as we all did in the UK when it became more accessible because of what happened at Wembley in 92 and it went from there with with you know the boom with Hasbro's and and stickers and everything else um but my favorite time period ab- above anything else is 93 until 96 early 90 it's the, the end of 92 um the fallout from SummerSlam and everything the build up and the fallout from SummerSlam the end of 92 until mid late well, late 96 the start of the attitude era of 97 if you want to call it that 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 time period there the cartoon years or when they were trying to sort of feel the cartoon years and then fading out of the cartoon years where they're almost a parody of themselves with certain characters that was my favorite time ever my favorite time ever my favorite characters ever my favorite colors my favorite neon everything is squashed into that you know pirates um, ice hockey players, <laughs> baseball, whatever they want to be, that is my favorite time period. I love it. Um, but when it comes down to it, anyway, we're talking about merchandise, we'll get onto that now. So, you mentioned their wrestling figures, yeah. and uh, we have to obviously ask the question of do you remember your first wrestling figure? Yeah, this is not so it was Hasbro, definitely. Um, what well, no, do you know, I say it was Hasbro, definitely definitely it could be between three if i'm being honest so i remember different things i mean as you become older you know at the time you haven't got a clue what wrestling figures are coming out and when right you might see some in a catalog um you might see some in the magazine and i think the first exposure to i had of seeing a really good indication of what the new releases were like the complete set and what the upcoming releases were going to be um again is that iconic magazine spread with the undertaker you know the undertaker more yep um because i think when i opened up and i saw that i was like shit these are the figures that i collect look at all the ones that we're gonna get look at it you know blew my little mind absolutely but um i don't remember seeing series one on shelves at all i've i've kind of got this little seed of seeing Jake the Snake, and and I had Jake the Snake, but I don't remember getting him in store. I don't remember seeing Hogan 1 in store. I don't remember seeing Andre. I don't remember seeing Demolition. I don't remember seeing Rude. Um, that boss man I had, but I didn't get it new. Um, so so a, a couple of different things could have happened. So w- we were going to car boot sales or, for American listeners, the equivalent of, I guess, garage sales back then. Um and I think my first wrestling figures might have come from a car boot sale. Like I, I vividly remember getting Million Dollar Man 1 without the belt at a boot sale for 10p. You cool. know, because I was like, oh my gosh, Million Dollar Man. And it's like 10p. And I had 50p and it was like, brilliant, I've got change. So I, I really remember that. Equally, Those are the days. Those are the days. <laughs> ab- absolutely. 
equally at the end of our street we had a we had a little convenience shop a happy shopper which was like kind of common on on estates back in in the 80s and 90s we had this happy shopper and it had um had this little toy round it had loads of bootleg toys and really crappy toys when you look back for like 99 pence each and i don't know if they were the sun golds or bootlegs of the sun golds but certainly bootleg wrestlers were on there so i had like a bootleg hogan i had sun gold wrestlers that had uh, the tiger head or yeah. the python head things like that like one who was almost like an alien with a ram head like somewhere between uh, a wrestling figure and a masters of the universe figure i know so exactly I guess, which ones you mean they came with the gray yeah. little belts as well with the gold yes. so yeah i know exactly yeah so, wonderful figures wonderful figures totally you know and stuff like that which was 99 pence at the time and was really a, a, a pile of crap you know you can, you can pay good money for an ebay now but as, you know as is the case of all things but anyway so definitely some definitely some hasbro's from boot stars definitely remember having some bootlegs i remember for christmas and i don't know if it would have been 91 or 92 getting the uh galoob ring um with uh, a lex luger and sting two-pack and i remember that because my best mate uh elliot he got the wwf ring with the sound module um yeah. i was gutted because i really wanted that and we got the we got the glue bo- well i got the glue bomb which i loved and i loved having the cage you know and everything like that but yeah i really wanted the house ring. but the first one that i remember getting in the stores and th- this is why it's weird to me because i thought i was kind of on board from the start but the first one i remember buying in store was series three uh brutus from Woolworths in swanage um little place little town in dorset so i remember vividly getting that and um, brutus the barber beefcake and i remember still the bench that i went and sat on and opened it up and and i also remember and i was saying this to another guy um earlier on in the week i remember there was shed loads of greg the hammer valentines in that Woolworths <laughs> from then on and they seem to be there forever. Peg warmer is the term that's used, but they seem to be there forever. It was probably still are. Years. Still oh, yeah. are, mate. <laughs> but yeah. So, so I don't know that because I said about getting some second hand, but we had this thing. There was me, my mate Elliot, my mate Josh, and his brother Ben. We'd get together every summer, um, and we all collected Hasbro's. We didn't call them Hasbro's then. We called them WWF figures. We all collected these WWF figures. Didn't care about gloobs or anything like that. But any time that a new mate would sort of join the group, as it were, so another one of the lads that we might go on bike rides with or play hide and seek or whatever, would always say, hey, mate, you got any uh, you got any wrestling figures? And then they might say yes, and they might join our little game, and we'd be swapping wrestling figures. Um, but equally, you'd find some people who didn't want them anymore and would swap them for maybe some of your Master of the Universe or your Batman figures or whatever, or your micro machines, and you'd get Hasbro's in into the group that way uh, and i always remember there was one lad this was this was later on this is this would have been 95 or 96 so at the point when the rest of our mates would have looked at us and said you shouldn't have wrestling figures anymore <laughs> like, yeah. i think i think 95 one of my one of my mates um mark we were talking to him and, and i can't even remember how it came up but he said he had wrestling figures and me and josh were there and we said oh, would you sell them to us and he was like yeah if you want and he and he had i'm not kidding he must have had about 30 40 wrestlers there was ones that we hadn't seen and me and josh both had a fiver uh, and we bought them for 50p each so we we had our pick of 10 each out of this bundle and there was ones that i hadn't seen in the flesh so 
the macho man in the white jacket, you know, with the, the green Stetson that I hadn't seen before. And, and I'd picked up 10 wrestlers, you know, that was, ah, it, it was amazing because I couldn't go and afford to get 10 wrestlers from the shops. And, you know, they wars didn't carry them all. But that was my biggest childhood haul was these 10 Hasbros for a fiver that he looked at us and thought we were mad. He's just made a tenner off us. But for us, best day ever. It's amazing when you tell stories like that and when you listen to them back. Because, you know, we, we speak to a lot of people about wrestling figures in the pod. And it's amazing what memories you, you provoke as well. And what memories you you, uh, you trigger that, oh, man, I forgot about this haul that I picked yeah. up. I've never talked about. And I can never remember what, what I've talked about and what I haven't talked about. Because <laughs> there's so many uh, <laughs> chances to chat. I think I was speaking to Tippy, but I can't remember if it was on the pod or not or afterwards. About um, I obtained, the, my first couple of figures were Warrior 1 and... Um, Jake and yeah. I, from series one and I can't remember who they came from but I think he was a relative was it like a pass me down from a relative of you know there's some toys I'm not playing with and in there happened to be these two wrestlers um, and I think after that and after the love of the 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 um, best of Saturday nights video then I think we got between me and my brother we got the um, we definitely got the WWF ring that came with the savage and the Hogan the JC Penny style one that everybody talks about. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to get that, to get hold of that at the time. I think that's what people forget. It wasn't uncommon for your wrestling ring in, in Wolves and from Argos yeah. to come with those figures. I remember them specifically being those figures because my older brother, um, who's a good sort of 15 years older than me and, me and my immediate same age brother, um, we he bought, I can't remember what he bought my brother, but he bought me um, Dollar Man 1 in the green tux, um, no, in the uh, black tux. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was mint on card. Obviously, that was a present from him. It was like a Christmas present. And but the 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 the, the Hogan and the Savage weren't on card, um, but they were on the back of the Dollarman card, obviously for the series sure. one. Sure. Yeah. And it just, it always struck me as odd that they came in plastic bags. And I remember at the time thinking that they, they must have been like, what was wrong with them? <laughs> you know, how little did we know? Um, That's it. Oh. It's just an amazing memory that I just, I thought I had sort of, even at that age, I thought I had snide Hogan <laughs> and Savage. Like, why aren't they with a card? Why can't I open them? Why aren't they with this cool artwork? Again, That's the it. artwork being the trigger. You know, to 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 lure you in, to want to look at it, to to capture the colourful imagery on that on that peg of those Hasbro Absolutely. figures. Um, Absolutely. But I remember getting them, and I just remember so many random trades as the years went on. You you car boot salesman, I'm counting the days. You do not understand how, <laughs> how much I'm bothering my wife at the moment. So you got to understand, we're not booking any holidays, we're not doing anything until the car boot sales are open. There's so many things that I've got on that that I need to go and check out. There's a there's a couple of an amazing car boot sales up where near I live. Uh, one of them's in the sort of back end of Beyond and Northumberland where it's, you know, you've got to drive through sort of farmer's fields for acres and acres and acres before you get to this car boot sale, which is basically a, a pig and cattle market. Um, and you'll know from your neck of the woods as well, you get a lot of farmer's markets and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's they've converted the whole of the farmer's market and the outdoor area into an indoor and outdoor car boot sale. It's absolutely huge. I've never been one to anything like it before. And that's like a... It's it's fifty p. It doesn't. The beauty of this car boot sale is it doesn't open to the public until eleven a.m., which is amazing because car boot sales typically open at like seven or eight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, as you'll know. But this one doesn't open to the public until eleven a.m. So you so you got all the time in the world to get there. 
and then it's 50p in before 12 o'clock and then free, um, no a pound before 12 o'clock and then 50p afterwards so you can get in there early and say early 11 a.m and have your pick of the bunch and it's incredible because i picked up some beauty wrestling stuff from there before and i can't wait to go back but in terms of people who are selling loads of figures the same exact things that happened to me and my brother it was about 95 as you say people were giving up on the figures there was a lad who went to our school who was um the year above my brother but the year below me so he's kind of in between and this lad he was we didn't really know him we, we knew him to say hello to but he wasn't a friend of the group or anything like that but he um he was all right he was always a canny guy funny enough called mark as well you mentioned mark before and um and this guy you know said oh i've got some wrestling figures um you can come round and buy some if you want so like all right so we went to have a look around and we we couldn't help it cuz we were back into it we'd gone through the years of i just finished um collecting like mortal Kombat and street fighter gi joe figures like i'd, I'd okay. be my last sort of collectible line that i was always trying to find and pound stretcher was selling them for a pound each at one point so i was going to there and buying all them up and then they became a bit of trade fodder as well because i was just buying loads of them those and multicolored parker pens <laughs> like <laughs> like currency at our school um oh i love it so was it, was it the pens or was it the ink cartridges it was the it was there was the ballpoint pens but then there was the ones that were they were like the fountain pens with the with the ink cartridges in terms of the, the fat ones with the lids but they were ballpoint pens on the end so they were kind of a hybrid but you could get them with like loads of again the reason why i like them and the reason why the kids at school like them is because they were mad neon colors like yellow bright yellow um pens with orange strikes over and and geometric shapes and stuff and they just looked cool they just screamed 90s you know and they became really popular in the school as parker pens were in our place for whatever reason so (laughs) and not everybody wanted a parker pen with sun life on it So Love these it. neon coloured ones became currency. And we, we went to this guy's house anyway and we traded a few figures. And I, I took a couple of figures, but he was mainly after money. And we had about, I think we had about 15 quid between us. And this lad had pretty much everything. Most of it was knackered. I'd say half of it was knackered because he painted over them in, in Tip X with marker pens to create NWO characters and stuff like that. So it must have been about 96 when we bought it. It was 96, 97. Yeah. But either way, we went there and we picked some up anyway. And the same, it was the first time I'd ever got hold of a nails. Brilliant. It was the first time I'd ever got hold of um, a singles HBK. I'd never had it before that. I'd, it was really, it was difficult to get a hold of the white white uh, pants HBK for me. Agreed. Um, yeah. Uh, crush single first crush was very difficult for me to get a hold of as well for whatever reason. So it was kind of like that sort of series. I'm guessing sort of series seven or eight onwards became really difficult to find naturally anything pretty much after the a lot of stuff after sort of um like series six and series seven like one skinner and things like that had been in the shop singles irs uh the tag team packs i think it became just few and far between after that for us we did have a shop called john menzies i don't know how far south it went it was a scottish brand that came into the north of england and i don't know how south john menzies got but it was kind of like a large news agents on the high street kind of store that sold a lot of stuff including stocking hasbros and they had pegs and pegs and pegs of hasbros uh, for a good year or two to the point where there was an, there was a, a franchise boots next to it like a boots uh 
medicine store next to it. Yeah. And those guys used to regularly trade off things between each other because they had overstock of certain things. So you'd, you'd find a lot of cosmetic stuff in John Menzies and you'd find Hasbro's and boots, which was crazy at the time. Wow, like that. And you, you, you don't think twice of it at the time. But back then they were selling Mega Drive games and uh, Hasbro's because John Menzies were doing trades with them. <laughs> which yeah. I'd, I'd love to be able to, you know, God, I wish the idea you could go back in time because of how nerdy as collectors we are these days. The idea of trying to find some kind of leaflets from boots with Hasbro's on them. It must be gold dust, you know. They must be absolute, just can't find them for love and money. Um, but yeah, just incredible memories, man. So thank you for evoking that memory. No, <laughs> of, uh, back at it's always lush. It's always lush. Uh, so you mentioned other wrestling merch as well. We we did touch on this quite a bit actually when Tippy was on. But did you um were you a fan of the cards and the stickers as well? Then with the st- you mentioned the magazines, you mentioned the Hasbro's. What about Merlin? Yeah. So um, the first sticker album, uh, which was the it was the blue one, wasn't it? So that came out. That must have been out at a similar kind of time to when I started getting the WWF magazine because I remember getting the. I remember getting the Merlin sticker album and as was, I can't guarantee this, but I would guess because a lot of the sticker albums that, that I picked up as a kid, as was the way, and I don't know, if, well, it still is to a, to a certain extent, probably came free with a magazine. Like, you know, quite often, wasn't it? You would you'd either get uh, a sticker album free with a magazine or in my case, my grandparents or whoever would clip tokens out of a newspaper and you might... I don't know what newspaper it was, it's Mirror or whatever, but you you yeah. get one token on the Saturday, one token on the Sunday, take it down to your news agents, and you've got your sticker your sticker album and your first four packets of stickers or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely remember getting the blue one and I've I've still got my copy and it's a few years ago I um found that out again and shit, I decimated it to be honest. So I've got <laughs> quite a lot of stickers in it, but um as is the way with creatives, we can sometimes be knobs. And at the time, I had obviously made plenty of my own stickers on card and cut them out and stuck them in with sellotape. So this this blue WWF uh, sticker album, this Merlin sticker album, is uh, is a mess, the first one I've got. But, <laughs> but, you know, I loved it. So, But, yeah, I loved the stickers, the trading cards more so. Um so I remember the classic ones, you know, the blue with the red stripe down and, and before that, the the, the white ones. Um, and funnily enough, I've got this really, really weird memory. So I was in um, I was in year two. So I'd have been six, just turning seven, something like that. So it would have been around about, again, 91. And I, as I was walking uh, back in from break, um, this lad, he lived on my road, so he was a mate of mine, ran past me, knocked me over, and there's like a little verge down beside the path. I fell over, I fell down this verge. He hadn't done anything wrong, he was just running past me. But um, I broke my arm, and it must have been quite bad, because I know that I'd done both the bones in my arm, and I needed an operation, needed to go to sleep and all that, and they needed to do quite a lot to reset my arm. But I've got this vivid memory of as we were walking into back into the school, I'm, I'm clutching my arm and I'm crying. He's got all his... Um, wrestling cards with a white border around the classic ones and he's like imagine this i'm like nursing my left arm with my right so i'm like holding up and he's getting all his wrestling cards and he's like trying to drop them into my hand and he said mate take him please take him just don't tell anyone 
<laughs> and they're just spilling out. I, I like, I couldn't give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm like my arm, and they're all spilling out on the floor. And I remember in scrabbling, yeah, he's scrabbling, picking them up, and he's walking beside me. Then he's putting them in my tray <laughs> as we go into the classroom. Um, but I love those cards. I love the red ones. I think the first time that I properly fell in love. Now, bear in mind, I already really like those. But the first time I properly fell in love with cards was the was the Merlin gold ones. So the um, and part of the set, I think it's the gold part of the set, or no, it's the black part of the set, is all about Wembley and SummerSlam and stuff like that. But those cards, to me, yeah, absolutely. And I've got they're worth nothing. So I've got I've got the the black set and the gold set um both mint from pack and you see all the stuff at the moment about trading cards and what they're going for and rookie cards in particular i know these sets are worth nothing because you could buy the boxes with the complete set so there's nothing that's scarce in there or anything like that maybe one day they might be a little bit they're not now but i just love still flipping through the albums with those cards in because they're just beautiful you know i think the i think the the promo shots that they i don't even care so much for the in-ring stuff but it's it was the promo shots that used to get me the stuff they put on eight by tens the stuff that would go on covers and I used to love that and that's one of the things that I loved about the merch magazines was seeing the wrestlers in poses wearing their own merchandise um, inevitably probably in a size or two too small because it was as tight as it could be and as a kid you longed to be that sort of size so you could bulge out of a t-shirt like that but unless it was the teenage lad or teenage girl who were dressed up in there as well wearing a massively oversized 90 yes 90 <laughs> Bret Hart t-shirt or something yeah or an Undertaker one that comes yeah. out of yeah absolutely Ooh, yeah the Grapple Arcade hands off the merchandise dig it ladies and gentlemen Retro-style wrestling action figures from Jellatoys.net bring the legends, the present, and the future back to the classics. Oh, mate. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely bang on. I think the blue one, 91, was my first sticker album as well. There was a black one before that, the one with the sky. The kid was, was advertising uh, the fact oh, that WWF yes, is now yeah. in the sky. Um, it's like the black with the sort of shooting stars kind of thing in, in it. Um, but, uh, nice album, but I didn't own that originally. That came later on for me. My first one was the blue Same. one, which shot itself. Um, wonderful, wonderful memories of that. Obviously, going on from there, it, it, we had the red one. I remember a bit about the red one. I remember having the red one, but not really. Was that it the one? A big thing for me. Was that the one with Bret Hart? Was it red or pink? No, there was a pink one that came out in '93. So there was a red That's one nice. that came out in '92. Uh, the pink one came out with Bret Hart in '93. Then you had the Undertaker black one in '94, and then the weird purple pink Diesel one in '95. They were the main ones. You know, they're, they're the ones that I remember growing up with. Um, oh, the 92 one was a really interesting, strange one. It was it was actually much bigger in Europe than it was here. It was the first time that it had made its way to the likes of like Slovenia and places like that and Italy. Um, there was a the way that they did it, they had a sort of distributor, a publications team called uh, Denny Mast, and uh, they knocked out. It was really interesting. We did a little video on this. It's quite a it's quite a bizarre situation, but the Denny Mast. Um, Slovenian stroke Italian um, version of the red WWF 92 sticker album by Merlin it's slightly off with the dates so 
our one was released sort of earlier, sort of springtime, I believe it was, something around that kind of time frame, maybe creeping into summertime of 92, when you had certain guys in the roster. But then the Slovenian one came out a bit later when the roster was changing and there was people who were leaving and new people joining. So there's a bit of crossover between some of the pages that are no longer there and things like that. It's quite quite interesting to see that based on release date, it changes the actual format of the sticker album depending on which country you're in. That's kind of cool. And it's, it's funny random. because I've got no memory of a red one at all. The black one, like I said, didn't have that. Um, blue was my first, but the black one I'd seen afterwards. So I had, I had the blue one, and then I got the pink one with Bret Hart, which, again, was probably free with something. But yeah. I don't remember the red one at all. It's Not a strange one. It's a strange one. It doesn't stand out much at all to, for a lot of people. Um, I don't believe I... I can't remember if I... I think I might have had it at the time, but I can't really remember off the top of my head if I'm going to be completely honest with you. <laughs> um, the The... It was, a, it was just a strange time because some of them overlapped, some of them were random. But like you say, um, the stickers were, whilst they were huge and whilst they were big and collectible, nothing came close to the to the SummerSlam cards of '92. Yeah. In terms of playground cool. fodder and playground collectible items, and I remember scrambles at my school where the the, the cool kids who had a shitload of cards who'd have swaps. They'd just shout scrambles down the playground, and then word would get down, and then all of a sudden it'd be the cool kid. They'd stand on the wall outside of the bait room, uh, with the back to the crowd behind them, as if he was like Chris Jericho doing a fuzzy concert with his back to everybody. And um, then he'd kind of do a countdown, and all the kids would do a countdown as well. Then he'd launch the cards behind him, all of his swaps, and it would just it was just scrambles. People going crazy for these cards on the floor that they were picking up. Um, it was just a really trippy way that people collected cards. <laughs> I don't think I've heard the term scrambles since school, you know, <laughs> since you said it. But yeah, no, you know, I think the playground thing's key because the WWF stickers for me, whilst I love the stickers in that blue album, you know, and I had mates that were into wrestling, I would occasionally watch wrestling around my mate's house who's, who had Sky and, and like you, I had some of the videos, figures, all that, and I did like the stickers. But there was no one that was collecting the stickers. There was just me. Um, and, you know, the thing that changed, and, and I think you mentioned this on the interview of Tippy as well, but the thing that probably changed sticker collecting for me and my school was, was the Premier League stickers. So, again, Merlin, I didn't have the 94 one at the time. Not a lot of lads, and certainly none of my mates collected it. But when the 95 one dropped, you know, the one with Shearer on the front in a Blackburn strip, Cole on the front in Newcastle kit, when that dropped, the playground went crazy for, for for football stickers and you know everyone collected there wasn't there wasn't a phenomenon like that again until pogs um and then they're probably the only two that i've seen like that you know the football stickers and the pogs it's just completely swept um everyone in the playground up it's crazy did, did gladiators kick off in your area did the gladiator stickers do anything at all because they had it was that weird thing with Gladiators. People either liked it or didn't, but a lot of people had a lot of access to it based on TV at the time. It was huge, yeah. I'm going to be honest. You know, that, that the early Gladiators, um, the first, you know, two two years or so, two couple of years, was massive. It was absolutely huge in the UK. And they, if you go back and actually check out some of their stickers, man, they were on form. Like, they were all the promo shots, like we say, but the neon and the colour that they used was 100%. unbelievable. 100% and the group shot of the males and the group shot of the females and the shot of all of them together like that split sticker so I again I had the gladiator sticker album 
none of none of my mates did. So it yeah. was just <laughs> <See> me, <laughs> collector. But yeah, man, I fucking love Gladiators. And you know, because the show the show was amazing, you know, and it sort of it built on what I liked about wrestling, but like you said, it was really accessible. It was on a early Saturday evening, it was something you could sit and watch with the family. I knew John Fashioning through football and all stuff like that. That was cool. But it was that theme tune. You know, theme tunes are such a good way of hooking you into shows. And I think that's that's the same for probably a lot of the stuff that I like from the 80s, you know, be it cartoons, be it um, be it real footage stuff like A-Team or whatever. It's that theme tune. And, and that was it with Gladiators. First time I heard that, it's like, this is going to be awesome. 100%. You know, I don't care what you put in front of me. But as it happened, the, the program was brilliant and, I, and still stands the test of time, actually, I think. So Gladiators I think it definitely and, does. and, and I think probably it definitely, American definitely Gladiators. Does. And yeah. I, I know there was um, at the time of on Sky One back in the day, I'm trying to, I don't even know what year it would be now. It would definitely be late 90s, probably actually mid mid to late 90s. It was a time when Sky One was becoming more accessible than people's homes and things like that. It was becoming more of an entertainment channel. Um you had like the Simpsons were on and then there was something afterwards. And I remember, I can never remember the exact name of it now, but it was almost like Gladiators on Rollerblades. Like, Jeez, sort I of don't like remember that. Roller, it was like a roller derby-esque kind of thing with courses, but all the people chasing were all sort of meatheads <laughs> with Fair muscles. Enough. And they're uh, <laughs> just like, like smashing people to smithereens. So it was like a sort of roller derby thing, but with Gladiator-style characters and like personas and stuff yeah I, I think it probably lasted about five episodes or something uh at least being broadcast in the uk it did anyway but it was quite good fun i always thought it would have been great to have seen how that could have taken off but uh alas it didn't quite make it so in regards you mentioned their other 80s and 90s franchises and toys and things what other um toy franchises were you into because i imagine you were probably into a lot of the general stuff that a lot of other people were whether it was masters of the universe or he-man whatever it may have been were you into anything more specific were you were a thundercats guy were you a toxic crusaders guy were you did did your collection span a bit later into the 90s biker mice things like that what were you into yeah and you know i would say i was an only child you know it, it was just me um, so I would spend a lot of time and, and also on the weekends, I would go and stay uh, with my nan who, who lived a town over. And I didn't, geez, it sounds like a sob story. It's not at all. I didn't really have friends around. When oh. I said. This, this, this was just down to, you know, this is my parents working patterns and stuff. That I would yeah. go there. I had like loads of friends back at my place. And when I was home, I was out on the bike. I was out playing football. But at the weekends, I'd be watching uh getting up early watching cartoons all the way through then getting into the middle of the day where you're watching either airwolf or a team um or, or whatever american program is being re-shown at that time then it goes on to you know you get your gladiators and your family fortunes and blind date and all that jazz on itv but um cartoon wise i was into ever such a lot so the first thing that i was really really into that I, that i remember getting both from a toy perspective and a merch perspective, uh, was Ghostbusters, um, and in particular, the real Ghostbusters cartoon. So, yeah. And for me, funnily enough, music again, it was that intro, uh, you know, the, with the ghost walking down the street, dodging around the trash can, all that, the music going and that, it was, it was amazing. And Ecto-1 with the sirens, brilliant. Toys were brilliant. My first, um, my first action figure um, was a Peter Venkman, where you, where you, you probably know the one where you pull his arm in close to his body and his hair pops up and his eyes yep. pop out. I think called Fright Features. Funny story with that, I lost that toy in um, 
what would have been year R. So when I'm four or five, I lost that in, in the trees around the edge of the playground. It was then found by a teacher and held up. They used to hold toys up at playtime. Um, when I was in year two, so two years later, a teacher wow. had found that underneath the trees, held up, and I was like, that's mine. And it was sun faded and damaged and like a lot of the paint had worn off. But that was, you know, my kit of England. That's amazing. I think I, I'm going to say it was mine. I certainly claimed it because I know that I'd lost one two years ago. Pretty but sure it was. Be, yeah, the tree Could <laughs> the tree that all Peter Venkman's end up at <laughs> as they, call it, they move on the pasture <laughs> absolutely but yeah my core toy lines were definitely on my core programs and toy lines and interests I think would be Ghostbusters then into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so I was yeah, yeah. huge Turtles fan the, the first movie was the first film that I saw at the cinema um so my first action figure was Ghostbusters. The first film I saw was Turtles. Those are the two big franchises. And then then WWF um, off the back of that. And and they were the main things, you know, until when I stopped liking WWF, not stopped liking it, when I lost interest in the toys and the merch and the product as well, probably. I was I was just really, really into football, like, like a lot of lads. So this would have been about 95 when my love of football started really taking hold. And, and by late 1996, you know, the 96-97 the football season, all I cared about was football at that point. But there, there were other toys along the way. So, you know, you mentioned Toxic Crusaders there. Yeah, love Toxic Crusaders, Bucky O'Hare, um, Masters of the Universe. Not, you know, the first time around, obviously the toys were coming out in 82. Yeah. I was born in 84, so the, I was picking up Masters of the Universe toys um, from boot sales. Around same here. Same yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same. I was born in 84 as well, so mine were coming from cousins and boot sales and things like that. Exactly that. Now, I, I, I was a bit OCD as a kid, so I couldn't play with my Turtles and my He-Man. You know, I'd be playing with, with, with one or the other. I certainly lost love for Masters of the Universe in the 90s, and I specifically remember having a bag full of all my Masters of the Universe figures, carrying it to go and meet some mates um, in the hope that I would be able to swap some of them for Hasbro's. But um, but I didn't, and I've still got them, still got them to this day. And, and actually, I've got right back into Masters of the Universe this year because of the toys they're putting out uh, in the Origins line, I think, are amazing. Um, but yeah, my core ones were Ghostbusters, into Turtles, into wrestling and football, but then loads of things uh, along the sidelines. You say Biker Mice from Mars. I didn't get the Biker Mice from Mars toys. But again, it's a show where the, where the theme tune absolutely kicked ass, and I, I enjoyed watching it. For we, that. Were spoiled. we were spoiled so much in the 90s with that kind of option and that kind of access to different lines that had just such a cool look about them. Um, you mentioned there your OCD, you couldn't mix things up. I was a bit the same in the sense that I couldn't have any non-wrestling figures wrestling that didn't that was not that was not allowed 100 um, you had to be wrestling figures in a wrestling room wrestling however however i do believe that me and my brother created the predecessor for what became legends house because we used to use the ghostbusters house for wrestlers to be in and we created Ooh. our own sitcom <laughs> as you do, interesting you know? um, and uh, <laughs> the wrestlers would all be hanging out and this that, and the other um and it was a bit kind of a, of a play on rock and wrestling really the cartoon where we had, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, and the good guys would hang out in the Ghostbuster house. That was generally the crack. And the bad guys had the layer on top of the mini pool table. So yeah, that was the that way, that's the way it worked with us. But it was um, it. 
there were so many random things say, and and i i was i was very lucky in the sense that i did have an older brother and a younger brother older brother a lot older so i did get a lot of hand-me-downs but a lot of those were from the early 80s which were cool because that ticked that box my yeah. younger brother's like three years younger so when although i'd grown out of a lot of things that he was into like biker mice you know that came along a little bit later when i wasn't that bothered about cartoons as much um things like that you know and other franchises of similar ilk in it, it i whilst i didn't appreciate them as such at the time i did a bit later on like with power rangers as well i was never really a huge power ranger fan at the time what whatsoever it kind of passed me by until a bit later i just got a little a little bit into it and just to enough enough to appreciate it to a certain extent you know um, yeah. And so it was always cool having the influence of, of both an older and younger brother when it came to figures that I'd maybe missed out on. And when I grew up with figures, my younger brother was bang into collecting his BCAs, you know. He was oh, really? really into his BCAs. So I was into my Hasbros. He was a bit younger. So he kind of liked his Hasbros a bit, but he was into all sorts of different toys and stuff. And then when he really got into wrestling was when the BCA line started and I'd kind of dipped out by then. So we, we mixed and merged and it meant that I could still go to shops and buy him gifts for Christmas and his birthday and presents and stuff in the form of wrestling. I still got that kick out of being nice. able to buy wrestling toys for a family member. You know, that was that was always a cool vibe. Um, oh, I like that. And you touched on a couple of things. There. I think Power Rangers, interesting one. I absolutely love Power Rangers when it came right. out. That fast. Not because of the show. The show was all right, you know. I... It's so dark. Let's be honest. There was there was good parts about it. Um, oh yeah, I but it, it, it was gr- it was great because it was bad. It was one of those, wasn't it? You know what I mean. But it, that's what made it so fun. Yeah, and you know, I was a kid who asked a lot of questions about it. Yeah. So, I mean, now looking back, now I know that Power Rangers was you know it was taken from another show. It yeah. was all the fight scenes were taken from that, and then really the stupid shit with the high school and that was added in afterwards. And you can totally yeah, see that. Yeah. But the thing the thing I questioned at the time, right, was Aside from the fact that where they're fighting doesn't look like where it's being filmed, but we know why. You know, Megazord would appear, great. The bad guy, Rita's gone down, she's made the bad guy a lot bigger, great. Um, so let's all get our Zords out and combine into a Megazord, fantastic. Let's throw the bad guy through a fucking building. Never mind all the people that are probably in that building. You've got the whole town centre blowing up. And at the end of the episode, everyone's cheering. I'm sitting there going, what about all the people that have died? What yeah. about all the people in the city that... They're dead now. I completely agree. I think Jason's got more blood in his hands than anybody else. I think one of the Red Red Rangers is actually in prison, haven't he, for murder? Oh, really? I'm sure. Like, uh, I think an early 2000s Red Ranger. Anyway, but all that aside, I could forgive all of that because (laughs) of the theme tune, which is still, to this day, I will still put the full Power Rangers song on and still absolutely mash around to that because it's such a good iconic thing. I think probably the Gladiators theme and the Power Rangers theme are probably the two best metal TV shows themes for me in, in the 90s. They're so good. And, and Rock and Wrestling that you mentioned, another great theme tune. Brilliant. You know, and so the, many, so many yeah. iconic theme tunes and in just intros in general, like the colours and the... It's like when we talk about wrestlers' theme tunes... There's certain iconic theme tunes because of the build and and from a production point of view, mm. production cap on, it's about the build and the drop. So yeah. LOD, that, you know, that LOD intro 
the reason why people pop is because of how the music's written. It's as simple as that. And they know what's about to come out. Two big mental muscle lads in spikes are out to walk out and kick some asses. Now, there's a lot of other amazing theme tunes, but it's even the same, you know, to a different extent. The Dudley Boys had a similar thing later on in the 90s with their sort of... Oh, great. You knew you know, it was coming. It's like that, that build. It's like that. That's almost like a an elevation of a new it's it's that whole sort of fade out and fade in which is just it encapsulates people it sends a little pulse through you through you so theme tunes have a massive massive part to play in in tv and i and i, I don't watch very much tv these days i tend to watch a lot of rubbish on youtube more than yeah. anything else and you don't get intros and theme tunes because people have got such a short attention spans that the shorter the theme tune, the shorter the intro, the better because they need to get you straight away. So yeah. you lose all of that kind of that um, nostalgic feeling these days if you if you tend to just watch YouTube, you know. Um, yeah, I agree. Some some cracking stuff there. You, I've got to I've got to tell you this, man. Um, so in my uh, student years, we we had like um, there was like a lot of tower block terraces around where I live around where I was living at the time as a student. And um, as you said, like you say yourself, I grew up in a council estate and always did until I moved to Newcastle when I was 20, uh, independently to, to go and work and study. I uh, became a student that first year when I was 20, like a sort of mature student. Um, and there was lots of tower blocks around where I lived with loads of just, just dirty parties, <laughs> like <laughs> filthy, <laughs> just grimy dirty empties you know dirty parties um all sorts of debauchery going on like hilarious memories one of the funniest ones i ever remember was i won't i won't dig myself too much of a hole here but um let's just say it's one of those parties where you know you you might have uh, been under the influence for a couple of days on end because of what was like <laughs> no word of a lie and they were, they were great fun they were great fun let's put it that way at the time and one of the guys who was there, there was always, you know, we had a DJ in this particular party. It got to about 4 a.m. And there was about five or six lads just sort of sat, like, after everybody's scattered and gone down to the party, that's carried on two doors down kind of thing. There's a few lads left who are trying to find the reason to live and open and work out what planet they're on and <laughs> what does toast mean and things like that. You know, all these questions suddenly coming into your head and these colours and shapes. And uh, <laughs> this DJ put um the gladiators theme tune on but oh, at, yes. half, at half speed <laughs> oh I'm not sure I like and it that. was on repeat for an hour <laughs> and it was like are you a gladiator it was mad and it's always stuck with me um the importance of playing music correctly <laughs> and the yeah. reason why we should <laughs> and it you know i think that partly tailored paved my way into music production actually but yeah that, i just had to say that because you know we've mentioned the gladiators theme tune there and that's one of my vivid memories of the gladiators theme tune moving oh, yeah. on swiftly <laughs> From that point on. so right because i appreciate we're, we're an hour in and we've barely got started so i'm we'll good if you in. are well i'm good mate i'm very good if you are um we'll move into the art aspect of things because we've touched oh. it briefly when did you start sketching designs and designing in general? When did you start picking up pencils? And when did you start um, dabbling with uh, different programs and things like that for your graphic design elements? Yeah, you know, it's a really weird one because um, se separately I've been having this this chat with, um, well, I, the HWO, we're in a chat group 
called the HWO Hasbro World Order. HWO for life. Yes. Group of um, group of amazing lads, to be honest, to come yeah. together and have like-minded people that you can chat to in this capacity. A lot of us said, you know, the HWO started in uh, December 2018, and a lot of us have said that the sort of stuff that we talk about it in there is the sort of stuff that if if I go in and talk and I'm holding my hands up and putting inverted inverted quotes here or quotation marks, whatever you want to call it, with my real mates down the pub, they're going to look at me like I'm a dick. Okay, yeah. because they don't give a shit what's in the latest elite lineup. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give a shit how much uh, a mock Hasbro has just gone for. All of that stuff. So it's, it's lovely to have these like-minded people that you can chat to. But I was talking to one of the guys the other day, uh, Ringside Review, and it turns out that we used to holiday in, in the same part of the world around about the same time, all this good stuff. And I'd asked um, I'd asked my mum if she could send me through some, some photos, because I know she's always taking pictures down there send some photos for you in, in the hope that I might have one with some other kids because not just holidaying in the same part of the world at the same time, on the same caravan site as well, uh, on the same camping park. Um, so anyway, she sent this through today, but, but included in that is um, is a, a little certificate or a little post thing that's up in the window that's, that's got my name um, and I'd won this painting competition down at the seafront in Swanage and, and that was summer 1990 so i'd have been five so i think forever i've been doing the art stuff it is the honest answer i think you know as well when you when you're an only child and you've not got a lot of money and you love lots of different cartoons you're gonna draw a lot and i think one of the one of the things i probably did and i said earlier about creating custom merch and draw my own things out of catalogs and stuff like that i've got really vivid memories of um the place where my nan and my mum worked, they worked in the same place, my mum in the office, my nan in the factory park, they would bring home like, loads of cardboard and stuff for me to draw on. Uh, and I had this big pot of, of butterfly pins, you know, the ones where you pop like the brass pin through, fold it over, so you've got yes, a, yep. a joint. So I used to, it started off, I don't know if it started with, with Ghostbusters, I definitely did it with Turtles, heavily, uh, and WWE, but I would make my own figures out of cardboard so i'd make the head i'd make the body i'd make the arms with articulated elbows and the legs as separate components cut them all out and use these pins to hold them together so they're almost more like a puppet kind of things um and you know sewer layers and stuff like that because i was getting some toys don't get me wrong but i would supplement that with with my own stuff but what i used to love doing like more than anything and this is something that stuck with me is I'd like to disregard the norm. So we've got four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, Raph, Leo, Donnie, Mikey, they're all green. Now, depending on which version of Turtles you watch, they're slightly different shades of green, but they're green nonetheless. So I would do like a purple turtle and a pink turtle and a yellow turtle and shit like that, because to me, that was cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the first, I'd draw in forever. And the first, the first thing I actually remember drawing is copying Desperate Dan out of the Dandies. That's a UK comic, um, but I, I think it's kind of universal. This Desperate Dan, but then really, yeah, the, the, the turtle stuff in particular. I possibly did it with Ghostbusters, but I can definitely remember turtles. And then this is bad, right? But quite young, I remember drawing Terminator quite a lot, and I remember as well being at my mate's house, my mate Josh's house, um, and I was drawing this this picture of the guy with sunglasses with spiked up hair, shooting bad guys, and, you know, blood spraying out and stuff like that. We're young at the time. I've clearly watched 
Terminator way <laughs> too young. And yeah. I watched Terminator 2 when it came out on video, and that was 92. So I was seven or yeah. eight at best. <laughs> but, I, but I loved all that. It didn't damage me, I don't think. Um, <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but so, so long and short, I draw everything, you know. If I watch something on TV and I really liked it, Right, here's the difference from, from me now and me then. Back then, if I watched a film and I really liked it, I would sit down and I'd draw Terminator, I'd draw Predator, I'd draw whoever. Now, I go to eBay and think, oh, I wonder what wonder what figures is associated with this movie that's on eBay. Yeah. Or <laughs> what trading cards you can get, you know, and that's how you end up with all this shit that you don't really need in your house. But there you go. But, um, but yeah, join forever, man. I think... Um, we had, similar, we had similar starts, man. We had, yeah. we had quite a lot of crossover. My dad used to work for um, a company called UK Corrugated, who made okay. cardboard boxes. You know, they, they supplied massive, huge corporations with their cardboard back in the 90s when that kind of thing was massively needed because not, nothing was digitized back then. So, you know, the, the cardboard could be used for pharmaceutical companies. It could be used for paper, whatever, you know. Um, so he used to work with this massive, massive company as a sales rep. And he used to have just obviously, a, we had a garage full of just a shitload of cardboard when he was working for them. Previous to that, he worked for KP Nuts. Different story. Garages <laughs> full of different things that were much more readable. But when he was a few K corrugated, they were full, oh, it was full of cardboard. So that would have been a, a similar age range, around seven or eight, something like that, six or seven. He was working for them. And and I was really into my art as well, you know. Um, I, I basically, when I, when I turned into an adult, I had to choose between, do I want to go down the art and graphics route? I'd done my A-levels in air graphics. Or do I want to go down the music route? Because that was where I was gigging. That was my passion. I was in a signed band at the time. What do I want to do? I chose the music at the time and dabbled into a bit of art with customs and things like that as time went on. But back then, <laughs> you reminded me there about drawing on cardboard. So my first, one of my first memories of drawing was um, my dad was always, in a, even when he was at home in between like uh, his, his doing his runs to his different the businesses that he had to go to, he might come home to do like two or three hours worth of paperwork or things like that, you know. But he would always be in his suit at home. He was a cool dad. He was a really sound dad, but he was always dressed for the occasion, even if he was at home, because he was always on call to go out and meet clients, whatever it might have been, you know. And um, I just remember just getting this cardboard, big cardboard box one day because I wanted to look like my dad. So I made a suit <laughs> out of a cardboard box. Amazing. But it wasn't cool and articulated like yours. Mine was literally just like a crisp box, but a big one with a hole in the top of my head. And I, and I, and I drew it with a, with a marker, a tie on the front of it and like a sort of in lapels. Love it. And then I got another box and made some trousers out of it, um, like two tubes, basically. And I just walked down and I just said to my dad, Dad, I'm you. And then that was, you know, that was, then he, you know, that's when he disowned me. No, he didn't. But it's, um, it's, um, it's amazing the kind of memories that you have when you, when you're creative, dare I say, you, you, like some of these memories that you you hold dear to you aren't just memories of, can you remember when we all did this cool thing or can you remember that holiday? You, you tend to remember specifically the creative elements from that as well because it brings you so much nostalgic joy because you, you've fashioned your life off it, you know? Yeah. Um, so going back to those times when you remember seeing that, that certificate in the photograph when you won that painting competition when you were five, it means a lot because it's paved your way, it's paved your pathway, which is always cool. 
And I suppose that leads us on to a bit before we get into what you're doing with the likes of Major Pod. Um, tell us a bit about Dead Fed, mate, because this is a brand I've seen you, you've been promoting. I guess it's you, obviously, and it's been something that you've been promoting quite a bit um, over the past few months to a year, at least for, on Twitter from what I've seen. Um, for our listeners, can you tell people what Dead Fed's about? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, I guess that's just something that started, jeez, oh, when would it have been? The idea for it started... Um, couple of years ago I want to say let, let, I'll tell you what let me rewind so I've always gone through um doing different things in my spare time so I work full-time and, and the industry I'm in it's led me I'm in I've been in the same um company for yeah, how long have I been there oh my god 16 years Loyal. Seven, Loyal 17 years TTD. yeah but I've yeah right I uh, like that loyal to TPD but yeah so I've gone through various um different roles there but, but ultimately I've ended up in, in a graphics based role but outside of that I've always endeavoured to do something creative so it started off when I got back into digital art um, around about 2006 it started off that I was I decided I want to be a tattoo artist um, and, and you know I, I practiced tattoos on grapefruits and stuff like that and there was me and a couple of mates have practiced on each other which you know you shouldn't really do let's just say I've, I've got some tattoos on me that you know aren't the best on, on my legs <laughs> but that, you know you, you you kind of do that when you're trying to find find out what you want to do so I did that a little bit and then I created some tattoo flash which you know looking tattoo flash that's the sheets that go up in the tattoo studios probably crap in hindsight but a few people liked it stuff like that and then got into uh, but yeah the main thing there was skulls that was the main thing that I used to do in that space I used to love drawing skulls and then got into the um, kind of the custom culture scene, so like the American custom culture scene, which is like where you get your rap thing and your your monsters and stuff like that. And I was just putting digital art out there, and and you know some people were receptive to it. Got into a magazine, that was all pretty cool. Um, and then and then sort of dropped that a bit and did some stuff in in the football space. Did some stuff commercially, caricatures in the football world. Whilst also trying to launch a buddy um, kids TV brand, well, a kids brand that was effectively um, a concept for a TV show, and, and oh, actually yeah. and, and did all right with that, you know, got far with that. Insofar as I was pushing that for years, it started off as stories that I was telling my kids, um, and then I sort of really pushed to try and get um, get that to a point where it's a TV show, and I did that by putting magazines and all stuff that I liked from a merch perspective together for this brand. It did all right, you know. It got it got to be um, a finalist in a fairly significant um, uh, European contest, a brand license in Europe. It was one of the finalists in their license this competition. And funnily enough, the the main judge there was was this guy called um, Calvin, who I sat down and chatted with afterwards. He was one of the guys behind Merlin, who brought like Merlin across to the UK and started sickers. I think you said before you had some of the Merlin guys on. We have, um, yes, we've had Merlin guys on, told us a hell of a lot of fun stories about Merlin in general, but also the brand and how it, um, its opposite tops in Italy, for example, the HQ and the crack that have gone between those two companies. <laughs> areas. Yeah, no, for sure. So chatting to him and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, that, that, that thing had legs to the, to the point where, in 2018, Cartoon Network asked me to come in and pitch it to them, which was 
shit scary, you know, going and sitting in front of some people in Cartoon Network and pitching the show to them. And they gave me sort of like loads of feedback and bits and pieces like that to take away and do some screenplays and, and all that jazz. And by that point, I'd been doing, working on that brand for nearly six years, you know, and a lot of hours for no real financial return. Whereas at that same time in 2018 was where I just kind of started the TTD stuff and people were starting to take interest and then started with a pod. And since then, um, the, the cartoon idea has been on hold. It's still a concept and, and it's actually transformed. And every now and again, I go back to it and it's become wrestling themes now, which is cool. But one day I'll revisit them. But that's a very long winded way of saying that I've always had things on the go. And one of the consistents <laughs> has been um, messing around drawing skulls and things like that. And when I started doing the TTD stuff in 2018, I started. I wasn't going to do Hasbro's, you know, because there's lots of other people in touch with us, lots of mm-hmm. people in the industry that, that, that do that and do that very well. Uh, inevitably, like, people ask you for it and you end up doing it and blah, 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 but we can come on to that. But I'd started drawing Hasbro's with uh, with Skulls instead. So, you know, Bonehawk, I think, was... No, Bone Smasher was the first one, so I had, like, suplex mechanism. Uh, and then, like, Bonehawk, which was, like, a Rick Rude body and, then, and a skull with a mohawk. And I really like that. And I called them Dead Fed straight away. Didn't really do much with it. Put it on a couple of T-shirts on um, Public. Um, sold a couple, bought a couple myself and all that jazz. Um, and then it was, you know, it was, I think it must have been, must have been early last year when I was looking through some of the archives, my design stuff, that I saw some of those. And I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to give that another bash. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, um, it might no, it might have been the end of 2019 because I'm doing that a little bit more. And then, oh, you still there, Bob? Yeah, here, mate. Sorry, very quiet. But then Matt at the, the major pub, he had asked for um, something in that style because I'd done for WrestleMania. I'd done the skull. Uh, version of the Broski logo so he used to have a, a Zack Ryder the Broski logo and at Wrestlemania 35 when I did his gear I did like a skull version of that which was effectively saying you know Broski is dead at that point no more the Broski yeah. thing doesn't exist and I'd taken that skull then and put it onto one of the Hasbro's to make a, a Broski uh, Broski is dead kind of dead fed thing and it was just from there really then so i just done a few kind of skull related designs and various bits and pieces which um which pro wrestling tees have been kind enough to to let me put my ttd store up and and put the dead fed stuff on there you know it's all right people like it it's don't get me wrong it's i'm not gonna um make bank off of it anytime soon it's not a brand that's um that's gonna make anyone rich anytime soon but it's something that I kind of like doing. And if and when I get a little bit of spare time and I can put another dead fed design up, cool. Because then at least it's content that's sitting there that's that's mine, I guess. Um, so yeah, what I love about uh, it is it's that crossover with the sort of wrestling figure elements. But I'm um, uh, not so much these days, especially during the weather that we've had. But, you know, since about the age of, what, eight or nine, I've, I've, I've skateboarded, been a skateboarder all of my life, including uh, an okay. as well. So, um, yet again, I'm hugely into my skateboard art because it's it's absolutely shit hot, a lot of it. Some of it's amazing, really fun, especially the designs from the likes of Santa Cruz. Uh, you'll probably, if you're unfamiliar, you might have seen the, an iconic image of the, 
um, really neon blue hand with a screaming mouth in the middle of it. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's and sometimes they do variants of that where it's like zombified with an eye coming out of the mouth and the hand. It's like an open clutched hand basically with a mouth and a tongue screaming out the middle of it. But it's um, it's kind of like the the kind of it's got that skateboard art about it your kind of artwork which again i really love it's got that quality about it um where it's fun it's cartoony it's vibrant it's neon and it, it kind of it's that crossover appeal with i just love the idea of mixing the skulls mixing the hasbros and yeah man I, I like the fact that you picked it up again put it that way i'm looking forward to see what else you can do with that because it's, oh, thank you it's great fun it's great fun and um I, th- I can't help but think that eventually we're going to have to have a chat with the lads, myself included, maybe Adrian and uh, Tippy as well and uh, Frankie and see if we can uh, conjure up some uh, custom figures based on some of your characters, you know. I think that would be well cool, well that fun to do. would be the shit. I would Wouldn't like that. Just... Um, and no, but, you know, and, and, but it's awesome for you to say it because, you know, really the Dead Fed stuff is stuff that I'm putting on T-shirts that I want so you know geez I don't want to sound egotistical or anything like that but I put this I put those up so I can then order them for myself and if anyone else that's wants it that. you know and, and I'll push it if anyone else wants it brilliant that's amazing you know and, and when guys post pictures of them wearing the shirts that I bought or if they go and buy a couple you know it's, it's like it's, that's amazing it's like thank you that's something I've sat and drawn on my sofa and you yeah, dig man. it and it's it's brilliant you know I take real pride in that I take pride in everything you know I've got I think probably around 200 shirts on pro wrestling tees for the podcast and various other parties that I've worked with. And, you know, having the, having my own stuff on there as well is, is just a nice touch. It's really cool. Well, you mentioned there other parties that you work with. It makes sense to now segue straight into the work that you've been doing with major wrestling figure pod with Matt, yeah. Brian, um, well, I mean, where to even start with that? That's that 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 must be a fun gig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that must be a laugh. <laughs> man, it, it is. It genuinely is. There wouldn't be uh, a TTD wrestling really if it wasn't for them. I mean, the, the how did it come of... about then? How did it start? Were you you and those guys together? Because obviously, we 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 all know whether a lot of people know now. We were quite privy to it for a while with the HWO and the, the, you know, the Hasbro figure world were privy to a while. You were doing the designs for them, especially with our friendship circles and stuff. But mm. as time went out and you started doing a bit more work and they were promoting your stuff and then your trading card and all that kind of stuff came out, it became, you know, obvious that you were part, you weren't just a sort of behind the scenes guy, even though you are to an extent, obviously, you're the designer, but you've been brought to the forefront a bit as well. So people, I've got an idea about, oh, who's doing all this shit hot artwork now? We can put a, a face to the brand name, to the iconic images, to the costumes that they wore at WrestleMania, everything in between. We, people know who it is now. Uh, yeah, how did know. that start out, man? How did that How did that come around? Yeah, I, like I said, it was the stars coming together, really. The stars aligning on that one. So TTD, as, as a brand, or me calling myself TTD in any kind of capacity, only started in 2018. So this was at the point where I was still really pushing the kids' brand thing, um, and I was on um, uh, off the back of a recommendation from, from someone who worked for Nickelodeon, actually. I got on a kids' app called Pop Jam, um and, and I had the brand on that and you know it was doing all right loads of followers you know they're, they're not people who are going to spend money but they're people who are going to have eyes on and kids eyes on on your brand and stuff like that 
Um, so through having exposure to that and creating content for kids, you know, between four and, 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 and nine, really, um, alongside my own kids, which were, which were in that age category, I was having a lot of exposure to um, content specifically for kids, you know, and I was watching kids YouTube streams, getting kids comics and stuff like that, all for inspiration for my kids brand. And I think one day I was watching with, with my kids and, and my niece and nephew, this toy unboxing video. And it was, and it was the first time that I'd seen an adult unboxing kids toys. And you know, they're so enthralled because for them, yeah. they get the, the kids get to see, and I get it. They get to see the, the toys get unpackaged, put in front of them in a way that I'm not saying they're living vicariously through that person, but they certainly get to make a decision on whether or not they're going to buy that toy or want that toy based on what they see in a video, you know. That's it's, the their power digital of it's their digital personification of what we had with the Argos catalogue as far as I'm concerned. 100%. It's the same thing. It's exactly, just a different exactly medium. That. Exactly that, but better. Um, although the adverts that we had as kids were shit hot, you know, when G.I. Joe's yeah. or, or whoever, when they were coming out and these kids were like, playing with them on this dirt surface and you'd fire a missile and it would hit a rock and the people would explode off the rock and dust would go everywhere. I was sitting going, I'm going to do that in my back garden. You sit in your back garden, you've got weeds, long grass, <laughs> no dust flies anywhere when the missile falls out of the gun that you've shot it from. Very yeah. disappointing. But anyway, I digress. So, so I watched it and I said to them, I said, ah, oh, I, um, I'm going to do a channel like that. And they were like, yeah, 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 do it. But I was, you know, I was joking. It was kind of tongue in cheek. And I was like, nah, I'm not really. And they were like, do it, do it. You got to. So I did it. I did um, shit. You can find on YouTube um, some of the stuff. So basically I decided to call myself Ryan TTD. Now I went for that specifically to copy Dan TDM. I don't know if you're familiar with Dan TDM. He's a YouTuber, gaming YouTuber, makes over 16 million quid a year. He's fantastic my kids loved him for years but his name is dan tdm and i thought i'm going to do something similar to that um and i've called myself ryan ttd with ttd standing for the toy dude so i thought you know it's just an abbreviation of ryan the toy dude so i started doing that um i did a couple of little videos had some videos with the kids and really i wasn't trying to get anything from youtube from it and i didn't it was just a way of having fun uh the kids got involved and all that sort of stuff it was just good fun um but i started getting some of my vintage toys out so some of my tnt and then i got the hasbros down at Adeloft and did did one on on my favorite hulk hogan hasbro and had all the hasbros out and i was like oh, this is awesome and then slightly later in 2018 probably around about march time when toys r us's were closing down i'd gone in there to get some uh, like pocket money toys like the cheap the little toys like the, the, the invisible the blind bags and stuff that you open yeah so I'd go through and do sort of stuff like that. And I walked down the rest of the aisle um, and I saw Ultimate Warrior uh, and Honky Tonk Man Basics Summer Slam Pack in there. So it was like £11. And I was like, these look so great. I haven't seen like the Mattel product. I've not been interested in wrestling figures for years. I wasn't interested in wrestling at this point. So I hadn't watched wrestling since the early 2000s. Um, but I was amazed to see an Ultimate Warrior and a Honky Tonk Man like on the shelf. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to grab them. And then as I was walking down further on the aisle, they had elites. I mean, I didn't know really what the difference was between an elite and a basic. Quickly saw the articulation. But in the elite packets on the end, and the elites were £6, and there was only a couple left. 
but it had tugboat and i was like what the fuck is tugboat doing in a shop in 2018 this is the hasbro that i always wanted as a kid you know i love tugboat and they've got this beautiful fully articulated tugboat figure and i think it was something like six quid because action figures were that and i was like dude gotta do that so i unboxed those and i just got so into the wrestling side of things and and we were we were going away on holiday uh that year family holiday um to florida and sort of i'd fallen back in love with wrestling just before to the point where i was now watching wrestling my kids were watching wrestling i was buying some of the figures like we got we got to our hotel and the first thing we did when we got to our hotel was was watch SummerSlam on the network because that was that was on on the flight when we were out there so we got into that hotel and we watched SummerSlam and then the next night we watched NXT and then when we went when we were there we went down to an NXT taping which was it's funny because you know you, you kind of forget that the actual no no sorry not an NXT tape and an NXT house show and you kind of forget how small some of these are and in this airbase it was such a small kind of environment but it was still great Adam Cole was there it was brilliant uh, Otis and Tucker were there and and the kids met them and absolutely loved them but we were fully back into wrestling like properly loving it sweet um you know you know when you get a new thing um or refind an old thing and and it's like a drug you can't get enough of it um and well, then... that's me in wrestling every year like you know i'll I'll dip out for three months i'll tap out and and i've had enough of the pod i've had enough of the events i've had enough of everything but when there's something that dangles and you'll go all oh, right i'll check it out then that's it that's that's it then you know it's straight back into the veins <laughs> i can't yeah. really know where you're coming from no, that's from. it. That's it. And dolphins and, released. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. And 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 what had happened because I was drawing the characters from from a kids brand still, still pushing that and promoting that. I was then doing wrestlers in that same sort of style. So they're almost uh, at that point they were what you call sort of a, a chibi anime anime sort of style. R- really, they're the chibi, the cute little characters. So they're chihuahuas, they're cute little characters. And then I was doing wrestlers in that sort of style because I'd done myself in that style um, for for some of the Ryan TTD videos. And and the two were bleeding together, really. And then when I started drawing wrestlers in that style, I then started to draw Hasbros and bits and pieces like that. And I thought, I know that there's people out there drawing Hasbros. In particular... Jason Wolf, you can't really talk about drawing Hasbros and, and custom Hasbros without referencing Jason Wolf, who, even when I hadn't been um, watching the product or into collecting figures, would occasionally get Hasbros down out of the loft. And when I go back through my digital archives, I've got various points where in 2014 I was making digital customs, or in 2015 I was making titles out of leather belts and then photos that I was putting onto the belts to make it look like titles for the Hasbro so there'd be points where I'd get them out of the loft and go oh, and I'd be into them for a few weeks or whatever and then that'd be it would pass but I hadn't done any digital art really really for wrestling I say really because there was the odd bit where I'd done gee, a zombie Hulk Hogan or bits and pieces like that just quite random but anywho so I start drawing Hasbro's and I think Jeez, people people do that a lot, you know, and, and I'm 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 fairly into my infancy, I guess, still in some of these sorts of styles. So I started drawing um, Mattel figures, just you know, randomly drawing Mattel figures, and I did um, I did one of Bill McKenna, so I did him uh, and his mate 
make Bill's sweatshirt that he got from from the pod guys actually at, at San Diego Comic Con that year, albeit the podcast hadn't started at that point. Um, and then, but they were part of the elite squad. So I had him, did Bill in as this elite, and uh, posted it on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, and he liked it, and he said something about it, and, that, and I thought that was cool. And then the, the podcast started, so I was listening to the podcast from, from day one, from episode one, from the pilot that came out in August yeah. 2018, um, and then I drew, um, at the time as it was, Zach and Kurt as uh, as elites and posted it and then this would have been end of september that i, that I drew them as elites posted it online um and then the, the next day um so it must be right at the end of october so the next day or thereabouts it's the first of october i got a message from from zach as it was at the time um asking if i wanted to do a design for the podcast and I walked in the living room and I remember saying to my wife, shit, I just got a message from Zack Ryder. What's this <laughs> um, and, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I was like, yeah, anything. What do you want? <laughs> I'll do anything. Um, and, um, and he said, uh, he said, you listen to the pod. And I said, yeah, 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 it's brilliant. And he said, are you familiar with Dudegate? And I was like, oh shit. So it was a big thing in 2018, this thing called Dudegate. And Bill, if he ever listens to this, won't thank me for saying it. But, but basically, the dude love figure came out. Um, I, it's a cool figure. It's great. But the the dude love shirt, instead of having the tie dye that we've had on previous figures, it's got like tribal pattern around the dude love logo. So it's this whole big thing called Dude Gate because the pod were sort of poking at Mattel, saying, "Why have you done it like this?" And, and rightly so. Rightly yeah, so. Yeah, and and they. <laughs> And they never came back and said, yeah, hold our hands up. It was a cost-cutting measure or whatever. They were just defending it and defending it. So it built into this funny little thing. But anyway, so, so Matt said, you heard of, uh, you've heard of Duke Gay? And I was like, yeah. And I kind of knew what was coming. I was like, yeah. and he went, do you want to do the, lo- the, the logo from the, uh, from the Mattel figure, but with, with our pod logo on it? And I was like, oh, this is like the most horrible vomit-inducing design ever and this is what i'm going to do is my first thing so plus i've just started getting friendly with bill and i love bill bill's fantastic we went out for uh, a couple of a couple of points in london geez when the world wasn't locked down um at the must have been the end of 2019 but anyway then bill's amazing and i was like oh, i don't want to piss bill off and i was like yeah i'll do it but don't give me any credit for it so i did this i did this um this major tribal design we called it and i i hated it you know, I really, it really sucked. And I thought, I'm not going to get work here again. Like, Matt loved it. Don't get me wrong, because it, it looked like what it was supposed to look like. But from a design aesthetic perspective, the, you know, it wasn't something I was proud of. So I quickly wanted to, to throw something over the fence to them sort of proactively, um, which, which, which they could use. And it would better showcase what I thought was my design skills at the time. Now, I know you know, that I'm still learning a lot in this profession. I was really in my infancy in terms of dabbling in the wrestling game there. But I did um, I did the, what would actually become the bootleg figures. So I did um, Matt and Brian as, as bootleg figures. So, you know, the Masters of the Universe style bodies, the bootleg style bodies with um, major wrestling figure podcasts, but not even the proper logo, like a bootleg logo, M, uh, MWFP uh, logo on the tees. 
and I sent that to them. They loved it. They put it up on a tee, and actually that then became the the first set of figures that was released. I remember, that was I remember cool. in, in the in the two pack, it was fantastic. Yeah, so that was to um, see to see them realised in that way was incredible. But yeah, so so that was it. So then I threw that design over to them. They absolutely loved that. Put that up on on a tee, and then. Um, and then the next one, I'm just sitting at work actually, and Matt sent me a message. He said, "Hey, how do you feel about drawing a naked midget?" And it's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and he sent me them, <laughs> he sent me then pictures of Hornswoggle, um, and and we did the we did Hornswoggle lying down, sort of in that Sean Mike Sean Michael style pose yeah. with the with the belt covering his modesty. So they were my first three, the major tribal major tribal design. Uh, the bootleg figures and the uh, the swivel with the belt in really quick succession, um, and I've been with them since, you know. So I think imagine um, if imagine if after that they just said, oh, thanks for your time, see you later," and that, that's that's what you had to show. Yeah, for it. yeah. But still, you know, it would have been awesome. I, I would have taken it. Um, damn right, damn I would right. have taken it, and, and that, we're at the point now where I think for the podcast and for the guys as individuals. I think last last time I had a look back, like, geez, some point last year, I've done over 700 pieces of design for them. You know, that that goes from T-shirts to gear to graphics to thumbnails to videos. Well, and that's going to be over 800 now. Uh, and, and I can't say it enough. They are fantastic. You know, Matt, Brian and Mark, they all look after me so well. You know, they, they have from the get-go. Get -go, they've always made it really clear how much they've appreciated what I do for them uh, and always tried to give me a platform to, to promote myself. And, and it's like you said, right, they sort of put me in the limelight and, and take every opportunity they can to call me out or to do things like the trading card and the pin. You don't see that often. I think a lot of designers are just in the background and I'm not saying that I deserve to be in the limelight or that I deserve to have this showcase because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm doing a job. It's a job that I'm proud of. But I'm doing a job. But they, they've been fantastic with me. Tune in next week for part two of our fantastic interview with TTD.